If you have your Bibles, please open it to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at just this last paragraph in Mark chapter 10. I know, I know there are a lot of new people here that are part of our fellowship. If this is your first time here, I'd like to welcome you to, be, to, to our college and career group. Um, we tend to go through um, a book study every Friday, and for the last several years or so, we've been going through the book of Mark uh, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, and we're more than halfway through this book, and then I foresee that we might be able to still be in the book of Mark until maybe next year, uh, maybe next summer or so. We'll see. Uh, but for this evening, we're going to go from chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Father God, thank you again for us to be able to come to worship you and to be able to sing praises to you and to now learn about you through your word. And I pray that you can give us eyes to see to be able to not just see the words of this text, but to see you, and through it, have a greater affection for you, Lord. Give us attentiveness and energy to be able to um, be attentive and to engage with our minds and with our hearts. Thank you for this opportunity for us to look at this text tonight. In your son's name I pray. Amen. I think one of the reasons why it's very difficult for us as modern-day believers to relate to certain events in the scriptures is because of modern medicine. Modern medicine creates this, almost like this Grand Canyon-like chasm between us and the people that lived during the time of Jesus Christ. You think about how we have modern technologies and medicine, so many things that the, uh, that the people in the time of Jesus would, would have been, if they had modern medicine, would have been you know, healed and fixed. At that time, it was something that they didn't have. So even something like a scrape uh, can, can turn into an infection, which leads to other problems, something that we can just take an antibiotic for. They didn't have. And it's because of that, because of the way that we live compared to how they live, it's really hard for us to sometimes 
be empathetic and to understand the desperate situations that some of the characters that we see in Scripture. And this isn't to guilt trip us to make us feel bad for the modern technologies and medicines have today. In fact, we should thank the Lord for it, that the Lord have raised up certain individuals that, to come up with these type of medicines for us to live in this fallen world. It is a grace of God and really a mercy of God that we're able to have such medicine. Blindness in our modern day is not as common as it was back then. I don't know if you know any blind people in your life, and I have a blind friend, and it, it's, and it is rare. It's, I mean, in the total of all the friends, it's really one out of all the friends I've made. Science and medicine help people alleviate many type of <coughs> eye problems. And a lot of times when we look at this parable, I want you to try to imagine what it's like to be this blind individual. To have, at one point it seems like, had sight and then losing it, and then having to adjust your entire life to that, and then finally getting this chance to be able to see again. The book of Mark is a book that talks about how Jesus Christ is, our ser- is a servant. And in the last ma- ma- passage or sermon, we learn from chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In the last message, Peter was trying to, I mean, Jesus was trying to tell his disciples that true greatness comes in, ser- in, being, in having a servant-hearted attitude. That in order for you to be first in the kingdom, you must be last. And that was something that the disciples struggled with because they thought that they were in the inner circles of Jesus, that they made them special, that they have this unique privilege, and they wanted to be on the left and the right of Jesus when the kingdom was there. And Jesus reminds them that it is not his decision, but rather it is the Lord, it is God the Father. And they thought that they were able to drink the cup of Christ, and Jesus told them that they will, and that's what's going to cause them. And they, and they don't realize what they're actually asking for, and it's really supposed to humble them to see that they don't know what they're asking for. Now, when we get to this part of the text, this is really the last miracle that we see Jesus does. It's the last healing miracle he does before he gets to the cross. In fact, starting from chapter 11 and on, he's going to be in Jerusalem, and that's really going to be end, or is going to close into the, to the cross and then to his resurrection. This passage here shows us just a little bit more about who our Savior is, and the hope is that when you study the Gospels, when you study this in particular, that when you see what Jesus is like, when you see just more about who he is, that it will give you a greater desire to worship him. The original audience, the people that were reading this for the very first time, these were believers that were, that were suffering, that were persecuted for their faith, and they did not know if Jesus is worth following. And, and I do believe Peter is the one that, that, that wrote this gospel, and uh, he is trying to show the readers why Jesus is worth following, why Jesus is not just worth living for, but also dying for. And this chapter, this closing of this chapter, shows us the compassion of our Savior, and also, at least, and also reveals a little bit about ourselves as well. So the outline for us this evening, our first point is this, what we learn about ourselves. Through this blind man, what do we learn about ourselves? And later on, our second point, we'll see what we learn about 
Christ himself. So our first point, what we learn about ourselves. Look at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. This is, I think, not just the 12, but the entire crowd, the multitude of people. They came and they were following Jesus, and it seems, based on this text, that the people were moving to Passover. So there's a large crowd. They're all headed towards Jerusalem so that they can do Passover together. And there's this huge group of people going towards, uh, and they arrived at this place at Jericho, and later said they were leaving Jericho. And Jericho is this, <clears throat> this Jericho here is not the same Jericho as the Old Testament Jericho. You're familiar with the book of Joshua where they walked around Jericho several times and then blew the horn and the walls of Jericho collapsed. This is not the same place, but this is rather like a new, uh, like kind of reestablished with the same name. And this place was like an oasis. It was a very beautiful place. It was like a garden in the desert. And this place was 20 miles away from Jerusalem, and it takes about six hours to walk from there to Jerusalem. So this is like this nice little, um, a little paradise here on earth uh, called Jericho, and, and it was just like a little resting stop for them. And, was, and as he was leaving <clears throat> a large crowd, they noticed this blind beggar and this huge crowd following Jesus. They probably heard about him. Some people wanted to learn from him. Other people might have wanted to get some healing from him. And it says that there was this blind beggar there. And it's interesting that this blind beggar, he was just there. And in the, uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, said there was actually two of them. Uh, but Mark decides to highlight this one individual, I think because he was just kind of like the main focus. He, he spoke to the, uh, Jesus. He was crying out to the Lord. But no one cared for this blind man because at that time there was no braille, there was no institution, there was no, nothing for blind people to survive. If you were blind, even for, from the religious side, people saw that blindness was some sort of cursing from the Lord. And it would take someone with a very compassionate heart to care for the disabled. In fact, if you think about all of the disabilities, I think maybe paralysis might be one that's worse than this, but if you think of all the other senses that you can lose, blindness is the one that's the hardest to survive. Because if, you are able to he- if you're not able to hear, but you have all the other senses, you can still function in the world. You can still work. You can still see and live life even though you can't hear the things in the world. If you don't have the ability to speak, you can still function. You can see, you can look all around you. You can work as well. But blindness, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very difficult disability because there's a sense of dread and loneliness. You don't know what other people, you don't know what people are thinking because you can't read their expressions. You don't know where you're going. You're constantly in dependence and reliance of other people. And this blind beggar here, it, doesn't, it seems implied that he at least had this one other person, Matthew chapter 20, but there wasn't any family and friends that were willing to help him. And it, but it says here that his name was Bartimaeus. And they even explain what his name means, the son of Timaeus. And it seems that this whole passage is really the testimony of Bartimaeus. Because why would Peter write this down to let the readers know? At some point, this person became some sort of uh, famous Christian at that time. 
And Peter, Peter probably wrote this down to let people know this is the testimony of this guy that we know, that most of us know, this guy, Bartimaeus. And he's recorded in history, in the Gospels, as a man that was healed by Jesus Christ. And he's the only blind person that's actually identified by name, which is why people think that this person probably, after conversion or in, the, in early church history, was someone that was important and useful because uh, Peter was able to write his name. But it says there in the beginning that he was sitting on the road, on, this, on the road, he was sitting there begging and begging and pleading, and this is really a strategic part. I don't know if you've ever been to foreign countries where, there's, where you can just walk on the road, you can see people screaming and crying out because they're homeless or because of certain disabilities. It's a very sad sight, but yet this is something that goes on now in different parts of the world, and here in the text of Scripture, where this guy is, is desperate, he's begging, and he's on the mercies of other people. Some people might give them some coins and, and maybe some food. But this person, this blind man, Bartimaeus' existence is in dependence of other people. Look at verse 47. And when he heard it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry and say, "Son, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. At some point on the side of the road, there was a horde of people just going by, and he heard just little rumblings here and there that Jesus is coming. Jesus of Nazarene is coming. And he, although blind, he saw something. He, had, he saw an opportunity, so he decided to cry out. And he didn't know where Jesus was at. It wasn't like he could discern the footsteps of Jesus. So he cried out, Jesus, son of God, son of David, which is a line from 2 Samuel 7 about the, the coming Savior. It's a messianic term. You know, this blind man seems to not know much about the Lord. He knows this, that he is the Messiah. He begs him. He said, have mercy on me. He knows that there is only hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And look how everyone responded. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. This is the cold crowd. They, they hear this one desperate blind man, and they all just start yelling at him. This word sternly telling, it's the same, it's just in our modern day, it would just be like telling him to shut up. Just, just be quiet. Stop talking. And, and this is, and there's something about the crowd here that thinks that this blind man is not worthy of Jesus' attention. So they tell him to stop talking. And there's no reference to where the other guy was. Maybe the other guy thought, well, who's going to help us? How can he hear us? There's so many people there. But this one man, Bartimaeus, was desperate enough and had the courage enough to cry out to Jesus for mercy. And he said, and he said he kept, but he kept crying out more, all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd lacked compassion. And why did they lack compassion? Because they wanted Jesus for himself. They wanted Jesus for themselves. They wanted, they wanted certain healings. They wanted to learn from Jesus. And out of all of their own selfish desires, they choose to ignore this man that was in desperate need. They try to keep this person from Jesus. That zero compassion for him. And it says here that son may have mercy on me. This word mercy, it's, it's, it's like the word for salvation. It's something that's given. It's something that he knows that he cannot get on his own. Yet he did not think that, he didn't think he could save himself. He knew that he was desperate, so he, he kept asking God to save him. 
Jesus in, the, in Matthew chapter 5 said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's his idea of, yeah, there's someone that's he's desperate need of salvation. And this is the best place for all of us to be. When we look at this individual, we look at this blind man, we understand that, yes, this man was, was a literal blind man, but he's a parable to all of us. All of us, before we came to saving faith, before we were rescued by God, we were desperate like this blind man was. There was nothing that we could have done to earn our way into heaven. There was nothing that we could do to, to study or learn or, get, or, or achieve in order to get salvation. We were, were completely reliant on Jesus Christ to save us. And I think some of us, we aren't as desperate as we need to be. Because of the condition that we're in, meaning that we're in a church that teaches the Bible, and maybe some of you have came from good churches and are transferring here, you're so used to hearing about how Jesus Christ died for your sins that you don't see the desperate nature or your desperate condition before you came to saving faith. I think that's why some of us don't appreciate the gospel because we don't understand how desperate we were before Jesus Christ. And I think for all of us, we need to have the desperation like this blind man who needed someone to rescue him because in it of ourselves, we cannot rescue ourselves. Yet look at this. And Jesus stopped. This is emphatic. He, he stopped. The whole crowd was moving along. They are pushing and shoving. And Jesus hears this. And he stops. He says, call him here. So they call. Now the crowd calls him and says, take courage, get up. He is calling for you. It's amazing how fickle a crowd can be. If you ever go... Okay, when I was in Oakland, I... Uh, I've, I've never been to any Oakland team games, neither the Warriors, but I remember just how quick people can turn. Like when the Warriors were terrible, the Warriors, they was to say all these bad things about the Warriors, and all of a sudden they got like Steph Curry, and everyone was, oh, I've been a Warrior fan since, since the beginning of time. I know who the Thunder guy is. And then the same with every sport, there's these moments and seasons where people would hate the team and they would just yell at the commissioner or yell at the TV as if they can do anything about it. And then when they're winning, suddenly they're like, okay, yeah, I'm loyal to the very end. It's like, you weren't loyal last year. How are you loyal now? That's like what the crowd is doing. Just moments ago, they were telling this blind man to shut up, to just not say anything. You're not worthy of the time. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes. He's like, oh, yeah, hey, look, look, come, take courage. Get up. He's, call he's calling for you. This word, take courage, the word for cheer up, which is, again, it's like a double blow. They're like just yelling at him early. They're like, no, take courage, go, 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 go for it. And I think the reason why that they are now suddenly telling him to do this is because they wanted to just see a miracle. They see Jesus as almost, some people there saw Jesus as just a miracle worker. They wanted to see something special happen. And that's what happens. He, they, they tell him, and the response in verse 50 and throwing off his outer garments, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Now, we might not see this throwing of a garment as anything significant, but the garment back then was like a poncho for them. And for a blind man, he probably had this garment over him to just keep the dust from getting all over his body. And, and this garment, it's, it's like a, again, it's like a cloak or a poncho, and it's not just for looks because it doesn't look good, but it's for survival. And this blind man, when he saw the opportunity, 
He didn't even know where Jesus, uh, he didn't know which direction Jesus was. He just threw it off and ran towards Christ. He just said he jumped up and came to Christ. I mean, he, he gave up everything that he had, which was this garment, so that he can have salvation, so he can have, so that he can receive mercy. And this is exactly what Jesus calls for us in order to be disciples of Jesus Christ. He said, pick up your cross to, uh, and follow him, or to be willing to give up everything to follow Christ. And this blind man had nothing else to lose and everything to gain. He was willing to give up his clothes, the thing that gave him protection and shelter, gave him some sort of even protection from the elements. He gave up all of that just for a chance, well, uh, just, just for, so that he can be able to regain his sight. And so he jumped up and came to Jesus. And then now the text here doesn't say whether or not he was escorted. And I would imagine some people must have like, directed him because there's a crowd of people, and if you just imagine, just like you know, he doesn't know where Jesus is located, so people probably had to like point him no, it's this way, this way, and you know, he was just kind of bumping from one person to another through the crowd, and he gets to Jesus. In verse 51, and Jesus answered him and said, "What do you want? What do you want me to do for you?" Which should sound very familiar, because this is exactly what Jesus said early in verse 36. When James and John wanted to ask Jesus if he could sit next to him, he asked him, what do you want me to do? Now, the difference between what the, how, what the apostles were saying versus what this blind man was, was that when the apostles were asking Jesus, they were asking out of pride. They wanted a certain position, whereas this blind man wanted salvation. He came with a humble heart, and he wanted Jesus to help him. And he wasn't trying to get help so that he could boost his own ego, he knew that if Jesus can do this, that he will give him glory. As opposed to the disciples earlier, they wanted Jesus to give him what they want so they could elevate themselves. And, the, and continue on, and the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which is, which is another word for like master or my Lord. And he said, I want to regain my sight. Again, which implies at one point he had his sight, but he lost it, which I don't know if that's worse than not having your sight at all. Because if you didn't have your sight at all, then you have nothing to compare to. I'm just imagining if I lost my sight, how hard it would be for me not to be able to look at my beautiful wife's face and be able to look at my kid's face and then see them change over time. Not be able to see them lose their teeth or you know, all the fun things that they like to do, all the laughter, all the smiles. And it's all just a memory. And this man here, He's saying, I want to regain it. He's thinking, would it, be, would it have been nice to be able to look at a tree again, to look at a sunset, to look at the, the pond, or to look at a smile? He's thinking of all of these things, and he knows that the only person that can give him this is Jesus Christ. And disciples, discipleship with Christ begins with this desperate need as well. It's this desperate need of needing someone to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see and behold Christ Jesus. Desperation is always a doorway to salvation. And again, I wonder, when you came to Saving Faith, did you have this kind of type of desperation? Because I think the reason why some people will end up denying the faith altogether is because they didn't realize how desperate they were. They don't, they don't see their, their sinful state as something that's desperate. They don't see that desperate need of salvation. But yet, if we have this humble attitude, it will make us appreciate Christ even more. 
It was in verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Again, Jesus here was incredibly gracious. This is a salvation miracle, not just a physical one, but a spiritual one. The Savior cared for this blind man. And again, it's a contrast between the crowd that was just telling him to stop talking moments earlier. Jesus is always gracious to those that are desperately looking for him. There's always this debate that happened, non-Christians that think that, well, what if someone, what if there's a place that, that does not have the gospel and they really want to be saved and, and there's no Christian there, how would they become saved? And my answer to that is, don't worry about it, God will figure it out. Because if there is truly a person that wants to know Jesus Christ, God will make himself known. Whether it's sending a mission that we have no clue or just finding a way, that God is providentially able to do all things. But for us as believers, we need to appreciate the gospel. Is this blind man, all he asked was he, he just trusted in the Lord and, it's, and it brought him immediate sight. Look, it's immediately he regained his sight. And it's amazing because he began to follow him on the road. Notice what he did not do. He did not go back to his cloak. He didn't go back to sit in that corner of the road. And there's a contrast here from, the, from, the, from here to the beginning. Because the very first verse is that he was sitting on this road, and now he's following him on the road. That's where we were before we were desolate, we're stuck in one place, but the moment that Christ gave us new life, we now follow him on the road. So how desperate were we when it comes to saving faith? And when you look at this man, you should think back on your own salvation, how desperate were you, and and just remembering how desperate you were should make you cherish Christ so much more, which is why I think that's why his name was written here, because at some point, I think this man he became some sort of amazing evangelist. He must have told everyone about, about Jesus, what he has done. And then, and then he could even testify to the apostles that, see, all of those apostles that are healing, they were there too. They saw me in sitting on the road to now walking and following Jesus Christ. And he's out pleading and begging others to open their eyes to behold Jesus Christ. So that's our first point. What we learn about ourselves, that we were all in desperate need of a savior and that the only way that for us to have our spiritual blindness cured is only found in Jesus Christ. But what does this teach us about our savior? Our second point, what we can learn about Christ, just some three application points about Christ, about our savior is that Jesus is aware of our needs. I think sometimes we think because Jesus seems so far from us that he doesn't care about us. But Jesus is aware of our needs. When we go to him in prayer, when we look to the words for comfort, God hears, he knows the pain of his people. He knows those that are suffering. Scripture tells us that our tears are in his bot- in, in this bottle that he has, not literally, but it's the idea that he, he understands our pain. He's there for us. And he, he knows where our struggles are, and he's always there, and he will always give us the strength and the ability to overcome whatever difficulties we're going through. Because Jesus not, he is always aware of the needs of his own children. So go to Christ. He is someone that we can go to. He's the one that we can cry out to. And God will always show, give us grace. Second, that there is no one that is annoying to Christ. Much like the first point, because he loves us, he wants us to go and pray to him. He wants us to ask him for help. 
Jesus stopped for this man because he knew that this person was, I mean, the world, the crowd at the time saw him, this blind man was annoying. He, the crowd, the disciples even saw the children as annoying. But Jesus does, is not like that. He sees the needs of his people. He does, he's not annoyed by those that come to him. In fact, he prefers it. He prefers that we go to him in our desperacy because it gives him more glory. We become less dependent on ourselves, and we praise the Lord more because we realize we need him. So go to the Lord. Don't ever feel that, oh, like, he, he's so, he's, yeah, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. I can't go to him about this little petty prayer. No, he cares about those things. He wants us to let our needs be made known to him. I mean, he already knows what we're going to ask anyways. So you might as well just be transparent to the Lord. There's nothing that we ask except for anything that's sinful that would bug our Lord. He wants us to go to him. And lastly, that everyone is worth evangelizing and caring for. When we look at our Savior and this, just what he did here, and, and just even throughout the, the Gospels, we see that he does have a genuine love for people. He cares for people, people that the world would not give a second look or the world, people that the world will dismiss automatically. He cares for them. And I know in our life we may not encounter a blind person. We might not even encounter anyone with disabilities on a regular basis. But if you're not willing to care for even like your family members, your coworkers, your classmates, how can you care for those that are desperate need and help? We should, be, we should have the similar disposition of Christ who is always caring for those around him. We need to be aware, <coughs> excuse me, we need to be aware of the needs of those around us so we care for them and, and mainly to evangelize to them because that is why we're here. The reason why we're still here, the, why, the reason why we are, the Lord has left us here is to try to win people to Christ. And the best way that you can show uh, that, that that these people matter is to care for them and hope that you can tell them about a, another person that cares for them even more than you do, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we look at this text, we see who we are. We are people that are in desperate need of a Savior. But what it tells us about our Savior, too, is that he, he's aware of our needs. He's not annoyed by our, our desires. He cares for people. And he wants to, to win the loss to him. And may we look to Jesus and model our lives after him for the glory of his name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your compassion and how you're willing to care for those that are in desperate need. And I pray for the people here who, who are desperately looking for answers in life and comfort, that they go to you, that they don't find or put their trust in anything else, but they go to you because you are the only God that truly cares in ways that no one on earth can. Lord, humble us, Lord. Remind us of our desperate state. When we sing songs of praises about our, our wretched sin and how we deserve your punishment, all the songs, all the scriptures and things that we learn about you, may it keep us humbled and not dependent on ourselves, but constantly and reliant of you. Lord, thank you for your word again. Help us have a humble heart, and may we be grateful to you and also be faithful in evangelizing the lost. We thank you in your son's precious name.